Well, I thought we'd start this episode with a quick book recommendation. And by quick, this will be like four or five book recommendations. Hey, settle down. I wanted to recommend a book called Prayer, 40 Days of Practice by Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson. This is because last episode we talked about prayer, and I know I said some things that were cause for concern for some of my friends listening about what even is the point of prayer. This book is a follow-up to that. It's a book that has the kinds of prayers that I resonate with. Here's one. May the reality that I cannot know the whole truth never keep me from bearing witness to what I can and do see. These prayers focus a little bit more on making us better humans. And I think my biggest issue with prayer from last episode was petitioning God, like asking for things or asking for the health of others and things like that. So anyway, quick book recommendation from Jen. Right. And there will be other book recommendations throughout this episode as we tackle some other questions. We are Red Weather Christians. I'm Steve. And I'm Jen. So early on in our marriage, we read a book called Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. And you might know Rob Bell, and you might be someone who thinks that what he has to say is... Crazy! <laughs> yes. Maybe a little crazy. Maybe not super Christian-y. But Steve and I read Velvet Elvis early in our marriage, and we really resonated with it. We really appreciated a lot of the things that he had to say because things he was saying were different from what we had heard most of our lives. And not just different where it was what we wanted to hear instead of what we had heard. Different in ways that read the Bible differently, that interpreted the Bible differently. And one, we like that you can interpret it differently. That's that's okay with us. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. We think that's a good thing. And even just having arguments and discussions with friends from this podcast, because that's been happening. That's been a good thing. I think it's really healthy to have that conversation, healthy to have the doubts and the questions and all of that. So when we read this book and we were recommending it to friends and family, we did have some people say, oh, Rob Bell. Oh, no, no, no. He's not a Christian. <laughs> well, well, we. I mean, this this goes in a lot of different directions. We had other people that were like, oh, yeah, he's that guy from the NUMA videos. I like that. But we also decided to use this book in our small group that we had going on with our church where they hadn't read it yet. And it was fantastic. Yeah. You know, an example of when a small group is just wonderful. Steve and I have had some experiences with small groups that have not been so wonderful. Oh, my gosh. One that was a video series starring the one and only Mark Driscoll. Yikes. Now, let's keep in mind, the group was good, but obviously the content was, at least at this point, looking back, questionable. Definitely questionable. Okay, so one of the quotes that we remember reading that we just loved from Velvet Elvis was, the moment God is figured out with nice, neat little lines and definitions, we are no longer dealing with God. Wow. Yeah. If 
basically I can define him in my math classroom and solve for X, there he is. We've got some serious issues because I would consider him at least a polynomial function with multiple zeros for the X. And uh, yeah, that may not make any sense to most of you, but my goodness, not definable. Oh my gosh. You're such a math nerd. I love it. Yeah, that's a funny analogy, Steve, of you up at the board solving for God. Uh, X, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And that's our problem. You can't just say, oh, here are the parameters for God. He can be, he can fit in this box here, but he, he won't ever be outside of that box. Yeah. And well, you compile all the Bible verses together about what God is and what he's like and descriptions of God. And well, first of all, some of them are, are a little wacky. What was the one that we were just talking about? The consumed. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just read it. It's, it's in Ephesians like four or six or something. God is a, a consuming fire. Uh, yes, sure. You can think of that as Sodom and Gomorrah. He was a consuming fire. But when we think of hell, we think of maybe what a not consuming fire, just a constant fire. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's a whole other debate of heaven and hell, which we're going to get to on this episode. You can look forward to that. We, yeah, we have trouble saying that these are the neat little lines for God. But let's just think of one other thing that the Bible tells us about God that we like, but also is not very conclusive. God is love. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but, you know, learning things in the church, there are four words for love in Greek. Which one is God? Uh, I don't know. I have a little bit of a hard time thinking that God is the romantic type. Ero Eros? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't so know. I don't know. There are some people out there who <laughs> will say, Christians, who will say that the act of sex is like the ultimate display of God's <laughs> love, which... I mean, you, listen, think what you will about that. More of God's love. <laughs> yes. I mean, in that sense, everybody should believe in God. Am I right? Yeah. So if you take that otherwise fundamental truth about God, God being love, and you're saying, you know, oh, God is that, and you try to define that, and then you look at how we actually use that word, even in, you know, general English ways and how we describe Oh, I love to eat shrimp. Mm, I mean, that's a different love than maybe I show towards my wife. I would certainly hope so. Anyway. Well, the other thing that I was thinking about with, with God and defining him is even if you take all the verses and you put them all together, yes, there are some wacky ones out there. I don't think you can disagree with that. But I believe... That And I was having a conversation with my friend about this, but I believe that even if you compile them together, you're only going to get a glimpse of God. We're just mere mortals after all. But that's one of the reasons I believe in God. I believe in a God that is incomprehensible, that is so above me that I can understand just a teeny, weeny little part of who and what he is. And I am OK with that. But I can understand for those people who who want to feel like they they know exactly what God is. Yeah. So that brings us to our next quote from Velvet Elvis. He says, questions are not scary. What is scary is when people don't have any. 
What is tragic is faith that has no room for them. And see, in this regard, some people might have already cast us off as, we are not Christian anymore. That's not true. We've already told you that we are. But I would argue that faith, by definition, I'm not even reading Webster's or Oxford definition, I would say that faith doesn't answer these questions, nor does it need to answer these questions, because it believes despite these questions. And that's what we really liked about the Rob Bell book. Yeah, it opened the door for us. Steve and I have, well, at least from since I've known him, we've always loved talking about things and arguing about things and discussing interpretations of things. Oh my gosh, one time I was teaching this poem to my class and I- Is this fire nice? Yes, uh, and the other one too, which we'll get to another day. It was a pretty, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a simple poem, but it's not the most complicated poem, Fire and Ice by Robert Frost. And we went on a walk. I will never forget this. This was when we were living in Florida. We were discussing this poem. I guess I wanted to talk about what I was going to talk about in the class the next day. And we argued about the meaning of that poem for an hour, at least an hour. There was another poem involved as well. But I remember going to bed that night, still not getting closure with my husband about this poem. Right. This is a separate issue. But the whole part in the Bible where it says, don't let the sun set on your anger or some blah, 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 blah. Uh, basically, if you have an argument, don't go to sleep without solving it or settling it or whatever my wife thinks we need to have done before I actually fall asleep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> Steve and I don't have like serious arguments too many times, but we've had a few. And one of them was early in our marriage. I can't even tell you what the argument was. I don't remember. But I do remember lying in bed and wanting to talk through every little detail about it to get closure or the closure that I needed. And at one point, I realize Steve has completely fallen asleep and is snoring. Well, two things. The sun had already set, so I don't know. And to me, that means you can go to sleep. It's okay. Uh, I mean, the argument might even have started after the sun was set. So thanks, Bible. Oh, geez. Okay. Anyway, I just thought that was that was funny. He's I turn it over and he's just sleeping, completely asleep. I was so mad. Ugh. But then I will say in the morning, you know, I'd calmed down a whole lot. We were able to discuss it and... I got some closure. We've so. clearly moved on. <laughs> yes. So just to reference faith here uh, with what Rob Bell is saying, you know, what is tragic is that faith that has no room for any, any questions, that is. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us if we are to, again, take the Bible at its word, this is the NIV translation, faith is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Nowhere does it say there, faith provides you with all the answers to the questions about what you cannot see. Or even that faith provides you with some sort of satisfaction in life of maybe getting some of the answers and not getting some of the others or anything like that. Doesn't address that. Even though it does deal with certainty, you have it's certain for what you hope for. I hope for different things. My faith is certain in that. And hope is pretty intangible, I would say. It's... It's the thing with feathers, if you if you recall. <laughs> we, we won't go into all that again. Yes. What really struck us, and this is how we try to live our lives, is this last bit from Velvet Elvis. 
It says, Jen, you got this one? Yeah. For Jesus, the question wasn't, how do I get into heaven? But how do I bring heaven here? And I think probably there are some Christians out there. I say some, um, not all, but some who believe that even this statement is maybe a misinterpretation of what Jesus came to do. But then Steve and I read it and we were like, yes, we like that a lot. Like the idea of living on earth in a way that is bringing heaven here. You know, it's not a literal like it's heaven now, but I think it's more of a philosophy or a mindset where you can live your best life and bring kind of the heavenly things to earth through what we can do, which some might say like, well, that's giving us too much power. But I think, you know, trying to make our world better and and trying to bring heaven to earth is is only going to bring about good things. And I think God would be OK with that. Right. I mean, and, and this goes into several different aspects of life and how we live life. We We look at it as how can we bring heaven here? We think of heaven as a place without suffering. Well, how do you end suffering here? It seems like it's rampant on this earth. And I have heard, unfortunately, several times from some of the Christians in my life that because we have a sin nature, suffering is just simply part of this world. It will never go away. And while I can understand what that means, I think it's a cop out for some of the Christians out there to just accept, well, this is just the way it is until the end times, until Jesus comes back. And I mean, come on, people, let's figure out some good things that we can do here on earth right now to alleviate what suffering we can. If we were just to look at, say, poverty and hunger, they go hand in hand often. But if we look at those, I think as American Christians or U.S.-based Christians, we vastly underestimate our role in poverty and hunger worldwide and our ability to change poverty and hunger worldwide. Yeah, I think we go to church every Sunday and we are in our small groups and we are doing our daily devotionals. And I think that it can be, this is going to sound kind of crazy, But I think the Christian routine can turn into a little bit of a trap sometimes. I think you can get caught up in your routine of doing the Christian things and kind of forget that God calls us to a larger role in the world. Right. And this is not to minimize our role locally, because you should definitely be involved in helping to shape and change your your local surroundings. Like there, there is value in that. But I read a book this past year that was, that's just plain awesome. Steve has a book recommendation. There will be a couple. That's why I said four or five, but it was just (laughs) that one in the beginning. So this is by Ronald Sider. It is Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, Moving from Affluence to Generosity. What a great title, by the way. He goes through a lot of numbers, and this is almost a 20-year-old book, but lots of numbers about how we spend our money and how nations spend their money and helping to reduce poverty and hunger worldwide. And what do rich Christians do? 
buy new cars, buy new houses. We are wasteful when we're eating. Even if you look at the church, uh, some of the churches in the U.S. that I know of pump a lot of money into themselves. So just state-of-the-art recording studios and state-of-the-art sanctuaries with all of the tech stuff. And and listen, this is a weird one. I don't think all that stuff is bad if it's used for good purposes, but I think that there is a balance. You know, what is your church doing for others? What is your church doing for the community? What is your church doing worldwide? How are they alleviating the suffering of others? What what are they doing to work towards there being less poverty in the world? So those are questions that you can ask, like have your state-of-the-art recording studio, but ask those questions of your church as well. And there's another aspect to books and publishing in general in the Christian world that I always question, and that is, wait, why did that person write that book and what are they doing with the potential profits from it? Yes, Steve is very concerned about this and it was never something that I really thought about, but Steve has definitely brought it to my attention so that I'm aware of it now as well. It's an interesting thing to think about. Why are these Christians doing what they're doing? Steve always talks about Dave Ramsey and his being a financial guru and all of these things and having workshops and stuff. But then you look at it and it's like, well, he's actually profiting quite a bit from all of all of those workshops and the books. And, you know, I mean, well, I'll speak more to this because I I do more of this. That is the idea of financial independence or financial peace university that Dave Ramsey advocates. So much financial information about retiring early or finding independence where you're not in debt is offered for free, easily accessible on the internet. And people who are big moguls of this fire movement, Mr. Money Mustache being one of them, not Christian, I get it, but he does things for free. He does not want your money because his platform is he doesn't need your money, so he should never ask for your money, which is why I question Dave Ramsey's methods. Anyway, back to the books that that Steve gravitates towards, uh, the Christian books, I should say. There's another one here. I haven't read it yet, I, I admit, but I picked it up. I looked at it. Uh, I read you know, the front and back, and the title is We Were Wrong. Ooh, I already love that. (laughs) This is by Keith Stewart. It's an evangelical pastor's radical transformation through following Jesus in the margins. And guess what? On not even before one of the, not even one of the pages, but before it, on the dedication page, 100% of the profits from the sale of this book will be given to global missions. Bravo, Keith Stewart. Bravo. Another idea from Rob Bell's book that we gravitated towards was the idea of hell being on earth right now in the forms of poverty and justice and suffering, which we've been talking about a little bit. But I think the idea of hell being on earth is an idea that makes probably a lot of Christians pretty uncomfortable. Hell is normally something that we Christians think 
is in the next life and something that is 100% avoidable. And I think that's a kind of dangerous way of thinking because I I do believe along the lines of Rob Bell that there are things on this earth right now that are hell on earth, injustice, poverty, suffering. Yes. And I think how we combat that is complicated once again, because some people might want to combat that injustice, suffering, poverty with violence or some sort of force. Ew. And I'm not sure that's the way that Jesus would have done things. I mean, we'll just look at his life real quickly. They came at him with a sword or with the swords and Peter cut a guard's ear off. And he's like, no, no, hey, Peter, don't do that. Uh, I'm just going to die willingly. It's okay. Yeah. Quick synopsis, that is. Uh, There are a few other instances where you could see um, Jesus's pacifist position. And Steve and I want to just remind ourselves and everyone listening that just because you feel like you're just one human, there's not much you can do, or you don't have money to to do much, there's always something you can do. It might be a small thing, but there's there's always something that you can do. And it might just be in the form of the type of church that you decide to attend and what they support. And you're being in that sanctuary with that congregation and supporting those missions that the church supports, that's doing something. Speaking of that, we were going to a church in Jacksonville, Florida, or near Jacksonville, Florida, called Journey Church. And one of the things I really appreciated was transparency. Uh, Every year, the pastor, Eric Jaffe, would have a state of the church address talking about where the finances were, and specifically stating that all of the money that came in with tithes or offerings 10%, 10%, at least 10%, it was usually 11 or 12, went out to world missions so that we were doing what we asked the people to do. So if you say tie 10% of your income, we're going to give 10% of our income here at the church out to global missions to end poverty, hunger, suffering in the world. Wow, we loved that about that church. And I hope that they're still doing that. That's just another instance of the church in the US, as we refer to it does good. And we don't have complaints with that. When we refer to complaints that we have with the church, we're, we try not to generalize, but it still happens that at churches, we have conflict with ideas. Yes. And this podcast exists largely so that we can voice the questions and the doubts, try to help normalize that, maybe give some confidence to other people to voice those concerns and doubts as well. And again, we invite you to disagree with us. We've had people give us feedback already who disagree with us. And that is wonderful because it's a conversation and let's struggle on some of these things together. Right. So the struggle right now is, as we're trying to come back to our topic of heaven and hell that Rob Bell had brought up to us, what do we do here to make earth seem like heaven? And what have we done or are we doing to make earth seem like hell? And what can we do to 
help eliminate those hellish aspects. <laughs> right. right. Well, and we're not talking about hell on earth being like your favorite sports team went 0-16 in the NFL or something like that. Some people might think that's hell on earth. Right. We're not, we are not focusing on those, you know, turn of phrases that we might use as a hyperbolic statement. Maybe some things, some takeaways for you guys. Think about how you can be a part of bringing heaven on earth. What can you do to make this earth better? Going back to when Steve and I were in early marriage and we moved to Michigan, keep in mind that I'm coming from only having lived in California my whole life, where Californians, we recycle. <laughs> and so we moved to a state where nobody really recycled at that time. It's much better now. But at the time in the early 2000s, people did not recycle. And I remember thinking, what? Why? And yes, of course, <laughs> we know a lot more about recycling now and how it's not maybe as great as we we thought it was. We and have an ideal of what it could be. And then plastics can't actually be recycled. And then countries who used to recycle our plastic don't want to buy it from us anymore. And now it costs more. and We just throw it away anyway. OK, but the point is that I thought it was really strange for Christians in particular to have such an indifference to recycling. I know that sounds silly. And uh, listen, I, I get it. Recycling. OK, like you're going to stand on the soapbox about Christians not recycling. But it was just one little piece in the pie that I didn't understand about Christian behavior. Uh, you know, you're a Christian and you love God and you love God's creation. And if we believe that recycling is is helping, which we definitely did at the time, you know, 20 years ago, why wouldn't you do that. And that was just one little example. But so for the Christians out there listening and for everybody else listening, you know, recycling, it's not as great as we thought it was, but, you know, we can have a less wasteful life. And that is not just for oh, those hippies, the hipsters and whatever you want to call it, however you want to stereotype these people who care about being less wasteful. I think that's one of the most Christian things you can do as far as treating God's creation with respect. Yeah. So we want to and we have tried to eliminate waste in a lot of ways in our lives, whether it's recycling or reusing things or making veggie stock out of <laughs> our vegetable scraps like carrot butts and things like that. <laughs> mm, butts. Carrot butts. Uh, you know, those those things. while. Small things add up. They matter. They matter. And, you know, do the things. Pick a few things. Pick a couple things. Pick one thing that you can do to make a change. Here are some things that we do. We make our own veggie stock out of scraps that we store in the freezer. And then after we boil the scraps to make veggie stock, we have our nine-year-old son go and bury them in our yard. Okay, there's one thing. I don't throw away my coffee grounds. They go into the yard as well. We sort our recycling. So there isn't recycling here in Quito. So what we do is we know that people come around and pick through your trash to grab out the glass, the plastic cardboard. So one thing that we feel we are capable of doing is we sort it before we put it out on the curb. Now, that might seem like, whoa, that's a stretch to say that's heaven on earth, Jen, <laughs> that we <laughs> sorted our garbage. But look, we have to start incrementally. And it wasn't like 
Rome was built in a day. Well, what a good point, Stephen. Nor do we want to be like Rome. Um, yeah, also good point. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what we're saying is, if we listen to this Rob Bell quote of, how do we bring heaven here, instead of, how do I get to heaven? Just make heaven here. Make it awesome. Like, your house, you, you make this awesome thing. You do renovations. You make it awesome for you. And you're like, yeah, because you want to enjoy this earth right now. Because deep down, and this is where the doubt comes in, deep down, if you ask yourself, how sure are you of this otherworldly heaven that it exists and that you'll go there, you end up making this world better because you're just not sure. Whatever you believe or how sure you are of what you believe, there is something that you can do right now. You need to figure that out, but you can do something right now to bring a little piece of heaven onto this earth. So that's our challenge to you. That's our challenge to ourselves is to make this earth a better place. And even if you feel like ah, it's only some little tiny thing I can do, it's OK. It's better than nothing. So do it. Right. Just do it. Oh, my gosh. Please stop. Oh, Nike. OK. <laughs> right. Victory. Yes. We're Red Weather Christians. I'm Steve. And I'm Jen. Leave no doubt. Unturned. Until next time. <laughs>